And we're live. Good afternoon. Episode 10, Talk of All Trades. Uh, we are doing this one via Zoom. So uh, I'd like to introduce uh, my old professor. Uh, I won't say old, but he is my former professor, uh, <laughs> Dale Rude. Um, he is my, uh, or was my behavioral finance professor. Uh, greetings, Dale. Thanks. Great to see you, Cody and Thomas. Thanks for inviting me to join you today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So uh, I believe, Dale, didn't you have a birthday recently? Uh, I did. I turned 70 on June 28th. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. So I'm I'm the old professor. I'm (laughs) being your old professor. Technically, but I mean, you're only as young as you feel. Yeah. 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 Old and young as you feel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So very cool. Uh, all right, so uh, just a, a quick background. Uh, uh, Dr. Dale uh, graduated from uh, Iowa State with his bachelor's in engineering, uh, master's in psychology, and graduated from the University of Iowa with his PhD in business and management. Uh, so uh, he, he teaches several classes at the University of Houston, uh, one of which was behavioral finance, mm-hmm. which was one of my, if not my favorite class at in, in my entire you know time at, at U of H. It was beyond interesting it was, yeah it, it, it was so cool and i think a lot of students that, that went there and took that class would would agree yeah so uh i, I want to have uh dr dale on uh dr dr Ru- you want me to call you dale dale yes dale. I'll have, yeah <laughs> so i want to have dale on just to kind of uh you know give us a an overview of the class maybe and just to kind of talk about different aspects of behavioral finance okay and uh yeah just give some insight because i mean it's it's a interesting topic at least to me so right uh dale you know, would you mind uh giving us a little bit of background on just your i guess overall you know life and and everything that kind of led you to you know where you are today okay um I uh, grew up in Western Iowa on a small farm. Uh, it was very, uh, very rural. Nearest town was two and a half miles away with 40 people. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a low-income family. The most money my parents ever made was 10000 in a year. And in today's dollars, that's about 30000 There were five of us. So I always had, you know, I always had a roof over my head, food to eat, but money was always tight. So that um, helped me become interested in money. Um, I had five college majors. I was a sailboat. Uh, I started out in physics, then one kind of engineering, another kind of engineering, and a bachelor's degree, then a master's in psychology, in counseling and psychometrics, and a PhD in business and organizational behavior. Behavioral finance didn't exist when I was a student. It came into being more or less in the the 90s. Uh, There were just the very start of it back in the 80s. So it's something that I learned about going to meetings and knowing about psychology and business, the, the merger of those two seemed really interesting. I was interested in decision-making. Yeah. So I've been at U of H for 34 years. I teach organizational behavior, which I like to say is lear- learning how to better manipulate people to make money. <laughs> and when I say manipulate, if you pay me well, give me an interesting job, support me, and promote me when I'm ready. That's right. manipulation. I'll take that any day. Sure. Yeah. And uh, the second class is behavioral finance, the psychology of money. Um, I'll throw in a plug. Um, about two years ago, I became aware that some of my former students were becoming millionaires. So I asked around. Wow. And I'm up to 25 who are millionaires. Uh, I call it the Millionaires Club. Yeah. So I started teaching behavioral finance in summer of 2000. And the group 
of 25, most of them took the class between those 2006 and 2011, and all were millionaires by age, by age 40. So that's uh, it's pretty cool. As the instructor, I don't take credit for what they did. They did all the work, but I take great satisfaction. I think the principles are really useful and important. Uh, and my favorite story, one of the students is Boo. Boo came to the U.S. at age eight as a refugee from Vietnam. Mm. And his family didn't have any money, didn't know the language, didn't know the culture. And 30 years later, he's a millionaire twice tw twice over. He and his wife, Vicky, both took my class. Yeah, I think they graduated in 06, and they've both done really well. Uh, I live in the city of Bel Air in Houston, which is a pretty nice area. Right. They live a mile from me, and their house is worth 100000 more than my house. <laughs> they also have a rental property. Uh, so I, I'm uh, super proud of everybody, including Cody. But uh, the millionaire, especially Vu, uh, holds a special place in my heart for me, I guess I'd say. Well, hopefully so I what they join that club yeah. one day. Yeah, no <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I read a few books uh, you know, that you recommended, one of which was, I think, uh, The Millionaire Next Door, which was a good one. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that kind of, you know, taught you the principles, I think, of becoming a millionaire, right? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, the book was published in 96. Uh, I read it spring break 1997, and it changed my life. Up to that point, we'd been making good money, but we hadn't accumulated much net worth. We're at about, I think, about 300000 um, And I read the book. I realized it's that we weren't managing our money well. Mm. So I took over money management for my wife, Mary, uh, and we've done better since then. So and, um, and some of the and some of those uh, money management techniques you, you, you were able to derive from this book, The Millionaire Next. Yes. Book. Yeah. What was, I, what was one, uh, I guess, prevalent technique that, that stood out to you? Uh, from the, I'm sure there's there's several that they talked about in the book, but was there yeah, there are seven point. There are seven main points. They interviewed about 200 people, I think it was, okay. and they are surveyed a uh, large number of people, and seven things came out. Um, one of those was uh, to live below your means. Oh yes, uh, which is uh, it's all it's common knowledge, but it's not sort of commonly practiced. All this stuff. Yeah, uh, the second one. So I've got the book right here. Uh, this is the book, The Millionaire Next Door, book by Stanley and Danko. Mm -hmm. It's kind of flashing in and out here. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and the second one was to think about money, you know, to actually plan with money. So I think uh, implied in it was to track your money. So I check our bank account every day. I, I look at the retirement account. Uh, at the end of every month, I compute net worth once a year. So you keep track and think about money. And right. something you talked about uh, before we started, Thomas, was uh, identifying mentors and people that are good with money yeah. and just talking to them about what they do. Right. I think that's really important. Right. That it's there's a lot of knowledge. Uh, if you're learning on your own, especially when you're starting out, uh, growing up a low-income family, and my family didn't have money to invest. They ever talked about stocks. Um, at the time, very few people in the neighborhood were had college educations are uh, much less invested. I mean, basically, those teachers and preachers were the ones with college degrees in the area I grew up in at the time. Uh, so you, when you're self-taught, it takes a long time. You make a lot more mistakes. Sure. Uh, another part part of the book, the book says uh, that 
looks are deceiving, that people who you would think are millionaires often aren't. People that have the flashy car, the big house, the jewelry and so forth right. are often paycheck to paycheck. And the millionaire next door is somebody who is unassuming and you wouldn't guess would be a millionaire. Right. And then that's probably because they're li they're taking one of that principles there, live below your means. You yeah. Know? You know, and you recognize that. And, uh, you know, that's funny because, uh, you know, again, something we talked about before we started the podcast, I, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I didn't really know about behavioral finance. I actually hadn't even heard the term until Cody had mentioned that we were mm -hmm. going to be speaking with you. And so I kind of did a little background on it and kind of noticed and, and what I said to you before, the way I summed it up was behavioral finance is kind of like the cheat code to managing your finances because because in a sense and then you you had backed that up by basically saying well you yeah because you're you're going to be managing yourself <laughs> and that's one of the most difficult aspects of financial behaviors or financial decision making is being able to manage yourself and i you know kind of you know confessed candidly that I'm, I, I can i have the tendency to be an impulse buyer you know and mm -hmm. i have to i i recognize that about myself and there's times where i feel like i need to get a grasp on it, you know, try to get a handle on it. But that makes sense that the millionaire next door would be unassuming, especially if they're following one of those principles living below your means, you know? Yeah. I think we're wired to make mistakes. Like we're wired. If three data points line up in a row, mm -hmm. that's a trend. And oh, we're going to follow that. Right. So if a stock goes up, I don't know, three months, three days, three years, it's going to keep going up uh -huh. and we'll, we'll invest in it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. An individual stock like that. And I think that was another, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because part of my little just down and dirty Google researching did mention that, that, you know, we'll take random acts uh, or random uh, outcomes that that, you know, that we perceive as a trend, like you mentioned, or a pattern. And we're going to we're going to follow that, you know. Full steam ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. even though they might not keep going that direction. No, absolutely not. You know, and then I think especially if you start to take a dive, let's say in a stock, then I think there's a whole nother wave of emotions and psychology yeah. that gets brought in. You know, yeah. you, you might even have like a gambler's type of deal to it. You know, I, yeah, I, I think I remember <laughs> learning in your class something about uh, losses hurt worse than gains. Yeah. Mm. Losses right. hurt about two and a half times as much as gains. So it makes us loss averse. So we're less likely to invest in the stock market. We're more likely to become scared and pull our money out of the market, mm -hmm. even though it's going to come back up. Right. And I guess provided you're invested in the right things. So one of the things that, you know, talking to the older mentors that I that I had, you know, mentioned before, guys that I worked with that are, you know, nearing retirement age, they said just pick an index fund, you know? And then that's that seems to be fairly common knowledge at least amongst the people that i speak with right some people are like oh yeah that's that's abc's of investing you know invest in the s p 500 hit picks you know uh pick an index fund and 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 just leave yeah. it in there just follow the market just yeah. And, yeah and don't don't check it maybe like what but uh dale said maybe check it once a month or so keep contributing to it and yeah. you should be fine but i guess maybe it's not that prevalent maybe it's not that common of knowledge I, i'm not sure because it seems like the, the the recipe for success is just as simple as that. You'd think so. I mean, I feel like for those who don't care or don't care to invest, mm. it's not common knowledge. Okay. You know? But I guess once you start investing, then you start researching and hopefully you discover or are told, you know, that, hey, pretty much that's the smartest move. Right. Or at least the safest move. Right. <laughs> I think uh, we're wired to think we can predict things. Um, and the stock market's really hard to predict. 
Um, I think it's beyond the grasp of of you and I. Right. What we read in the newspaper is already in the stock price. That there are I don't know tens of thousands of people with hundreds of millions or billions of dollars backing them with the same information or much more knowledgeable. So as soon as something new becomes available, it's reflected in the price. Mm-hmm. So in essence, there are no bargains. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we're that's like saying. Um, so that that's basically saying that even the most most knowledgeable people can't predict very well. Uh, yeah, that's like saying you go. To, I go to my mechanic, and he randomly picks uh, whatever the problem is. If I have a noise uh, coming from the engine, he'll say replace the tires or something kind of randomly matching right. solution with with problem. So the world we live in, there are experts, and they can do better than you and me, and they can figure things out. But the stock market's different because so many people are involved, right. and all the information is public. The the price moves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one example I use in class, I have a old volume E of the World Book from 1962. Mm-hmm. And I go to class, I say, but there are tens of thousands of these in basements. If I auction this off, how much could I get from it? And somebody will say something like 50 cents. I open it up and I show that there's a $100 bill inside. And I say, <laughs> if only one person knows this, what will it sell for if I sell it to the class? And you'll know, sell it for. Uh, 50 cents because that person isn't going to bid any more than they have to but what if two people know and they don't know that one another know they're going to bid it up until it's a hundred dollars and 50 cents right so if other people know what you know the price is going to adjust to reflect that knowledge uh it's a base basic idea i think that's a pretty simple but pretty powerful explanation uh so if you just give up and as you said thomas talking to your colleagues you invest in index funds which basically matches the market right. the market goes up and down your portfolio will match that, but you don't have the flux. It's much more stable. The fluctuations are much less than if you invest in individual stocks. Right. Um, and there are target date funds that will include bonds, that will include in- international bonds and stocks, which also balance out your portfolio. And the target date funds, as you get older, they become more conservative. They move more toward bonds, and there's some cash in it as well. So the mutual fund company takes care of that for you. Right. So it's incredibly easy. And the price, um, I pay, I invest with Vanguard and index funds. It's like 0.1%. And I'm literally invested in thousands of companies around the world because my money's pooled with other people. If I was to take 100,000, I could invest in, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, 50 stocks. I don't know how much. Uh, And there'd be transaction fees. I have to do it all. You know, I just dump the money in and they take care of it. It's it's just uh, such a great deal. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, uh, yeah, if you have the extra income and, you know, you mentioned when you, the way you grew up, I mean, your family couldn't afford to to, to do that. You yeah. know? And, and then and a lot of our families, you know, uh, the way where we grew up, a working class uh, uh-huh. neighborhood like Sagemont. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. a, lot, a lot of our families were, were the same, you know, um, although I yeah. will say um, in, in my family, we're, we're kind of. A little bit more, I guess, uh, established now. We, we do understand these principles, and and they've been passed down. Right. So, uh, on top of you know learning from my older colleagues, you know, my grandparents were were also early investors, and 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 explained yeah. the, the benefit to me. And so, you know, again, unlocking the cheat code to finances. You know, right. 
Uh, we're doing it the hard, at least I can speak for myself. I'm doing it the hard way. I've made tons of mistakes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I started way, way too late and I'm, I'm not going to let my children make that same mistake. Right. So, so I'm going to start, you know, an account for them, you know, in their infancy, you know, when they're, you know, children and, and watch that grow. And then hopefully you know, they'll be able to, uh, you know, pass that on to their children and, you know, create yeah. I guess generational wealth. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Maybe we won't be the the millionaires, but maybe one of our our kids <laughs> yeah. or, or their kids will be you know, millionaires. millionaires by proxy. <laughs> They'll okay. take care of us whenever we're there. Know, we go. <laughs> older. I, I think both of you will make it. One of the uh, fascinating things about money is uh, the curve at which it accumulates. Yeah. Uh, it's an exponential curve, so it stays very flat, and then it it starts to get steeper and steeper. Um, so, um, one of my friends who teaches in a personal finance program says, once you have 500 or a thousand or a million, that's when it gets to be fun. Yeah. Oh, bit. Yep. Because if you make 10%, 500,000, that's 50,000 you made a million. That's a hundred thousand. Yeah. You have a million, it's a hundred thousand, uh, and two, 200,000. Uh, but when you're on the flat part, it's really, it just takes forever. It's just excruciatingly slow. And all your friends are buying you cars, are going on vacation. Sure. They make fun of you for being careful with your money. <laughs> and, but once you hit the steeper part, yeah. uh, then it's fun. They're looking at you and asking, what do you do? Right. How can I do that? Right, right. And and, uh, and, you, and you managed it. That's, that's what you did, is, is you found a way to not worry about your friends and yeah. what's that keeping up with the Joneses, right? right. You know, we, yeah. we, we, don't have to, we can't be concerned with that. Yeah. And then, then you pass them up and they're like, whoa, what, yeah. what happened? That's kind of what he was mentioning before. It's yeah. easier said than done, though. I yeah. will say it, it it can be a little difficult to to do that, you know, um, especially if you see somebody, uh, your your peers, right? Somebody your own age, mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, I don't know, just whatever. Going. <laughs> and but you got living their best life. Yeah. You just got to say, hey, that's that, you know, good for them. Of course, you right. don't want to be jealous or have any sort of those negative emotions you know what i mean but right. but definitely don't let that leech onto you and whatever you've got going on whatever your plan of direction is yeah don't let it tempt you, know? you. yeah because i don't think it's worth um trying to trying to keep up with with the you know, keep up keeping up appearances right mm -hmm. what does that get you you know what i mean i think it's okay to to live below your means while you have something else working on in the background so uh, I was reading a book, I believe this was The Psychology of Money by uh, uh -huh. Morgan Housel. Uh, yeah. It, it just mentioned about, uh, you know, the, the keeping up with the Joneses type of, you know, living and what you're, what you're doing is, you know, the, the nice car um, that you buy, you know, you, you want people to admire you, you know, for it, I mm. guess. You know? Okay. But I mean, have you, have you ever looked at somebody and said, oh man, like someone driving a nice car and like, man, that, that guy must be cool. Or were you thinking... Man, that car is really cool. The car is the thing that you're appreciating, not the uh, not the guy. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Like so so what what you want is for people to admire you and respect you. That, mm. that that's what you're wanting to do when you buy the nice car. I see. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily the thing, I guess. It's the, the respect it, it commands. Uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't command the respect. It it just like commands people coveting the thing that you have. Yeah. Which, doesn't really reflect on you it reflects more on the thing right they want the thing but yeah it's just a nice philosophy so don't, don't, think, don't uh, worry about if it if you can learn to say you know, your best friend or sibling gets the, the latest iphone you just look at it and say wow that's really nice you're gonna enjoy it but i don't have to buy it myself 
I can, I can reinforce them. I can appreciate it, but I don't have to compete with them. Right, right. There's no need to compete. Although, I don't know. He just mentioned uh, buying the, the latest and greatest iPhone. It kind of got me thinking. I'm on that plan where you pay. You basically you're going to perpetually pay for a phone forever. Yeah, and I mean if you do the math and you okay, okay, Woods, well, fifty eight bucks a month times twelve months. You know, it's like a little over seven hundred dollars a year, mm-hmm. which is considerably cheaper than buying the phone outright. But you're consistently paying every that, year. Yeah, every what, year. What's what's the lifetime cost of doing that? I don't know. I mean, I. You're going to live another 35 plus years? Yeah, I can multiply it, I guess. So. You know. <laughs> it's an expensive phone. It's a very expensive phone, you know, and, you, you know, and I guess if you can just take care of your phones, you, know, you you should be able to get, what, five years out of these? I mean, there is there is such a thing as, what do they call that, planned failure? Like, don't, don't these yeah. things are going to... Well, yeah, when they update it to a certain degree, they stop supporting older hardware models. Yeah. Right, so, right. Yeah, after a certain amount of time, you have to upgrade. You have to, right. Yeah. I think I went six, six and a half years, maybe. Before. Okay. One time was my longest. Well, and honestly, so at $700 a year or six years, you just save that, you know, no, no doubt, you yeah. know. So I'm probably going to cancel that plan soon. <laughs> yeah. Give him a call. Yeah. 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 Just call AT&T. Let them, let them know the bad news. But I mean, that's just it though. These, these businesses are, are organized in such a way they incentive, they try to incentivize you in such a way to make these kind of purchases and you rationalize it. Like I just said, Oh, well it's $700 a year and that's a lot cheaper than a $1,500 phone. And it's the latest and greatest and this, that, and the other. Yeah. So I mean, it's that word, that phrase, the latest and greatest. You always have the latest and greatest. Right. You always have the latest and greatest but you're going to be perpetually paying but dale isn't that part of what these organizations would want you to do to begin with yeah yeah and the same um like when you sign up for subscriptions right uh, to various services netflix or what have you uh they tend to we tend to keep them whether we use them or not right um, i'm still on cable and it's interesting the cable bill keeps going up mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that they're uh, the same with uh, my insurance provider. My insurance seems to keep going up. Yeah. I've been with them for 47 years, yeah. and they've been good to me whenever I've had a claim. So I hesitate to change. But they're, you know, they're, they're out to make money. Yeah. Uh, so you you have to look out for yourself. They're not going to do it for you. No, they're not. You're absolutely right. And I and I guess with uh, you know having a PhD in, in business organizations and, and management, you had mentioned earlier that you know it's basically the way of of, of, of these organizations like learning how to, I guess, manipulate their customers, is it? Or yeah, yeah. Is, I think they're very adept at it. I think the marketers are tremendous at it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and when I the, think, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, one of the tricks is if you, so if you don't keep up with the Joneses, that's really helpful. That's huge. If you want to just say, congratulations, that's really nice. I'm glad you got that. And the other thing is to try to minimize exposure to advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up, we were TV kids, watch TV all the time. I can tell you, you tell me a, a product or tell me a jingle from yeah. the 60s, I can tell you what the product is and fill out the jingle for you. Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm putty in their hands. So if I just avoid that, if I'm watching a basketball game, commercial comes on, I'll just change channels. Sure. And I've done it enough. I know about how long, uh, when to tune back. So if you just minimize exposure, because they're trying to push buttons as many ways as they can. Yeah. And they're in it for their good, um, much more so than your good. So you got to look out for yourself. Yeah, no doubt. And and it it does, it does seem a little, 
Uh, it's kind of hard not to get very conspiracy theory with it all. You know what I mean? It's like the cards are so stacked against you and they want to keep you down in this little section of society and consume, consume, uh-huh. consume and, and, and what have you, you know, and they just want your money. It, it, yeah, but yeah, I guess that's what it really all boils down to, you know, but it's, it's hard not to. I guess it's hard for that to not build contempt within you. I, I know with me, sometimes I'm kind of like. You know, like you mentioned, that, well, you know, insurance providers, I mean, insurance is just one of those necessary evils, you know, and they keep going up and they can give you a million and one reasons why, especially with the, you know, uh, rate of, of natural disasters and, 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 and things of that nature that are taking place uh, more frequently. We can get into a climate change talk if you'd like. But anyways, the point is, you know, they can give you a million and one reasons why, you know, but um something like an insurance provider that provides a service. But I mean, what, 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 what's, what's to say about what I mentioned earlier too, like the planned failures, like why, why can't I buy a Samsung washer and dryer and expect it to last 20 something years, you know? Cause and they don't make them like they used to. That saying is real. Well, well and, and they don't for a reason is for what the, I'm trying to get at. Right. Yeah, because they realize that, Hey, these things aren't breaking. You know, it's like we we need people to buy new ones. No one's buying any new ones. You know, so or or at least uh, support a uh, a maintenance uh, part yeah. of the business. Yeah. You know, part of the industry. Yeah. yeah, I think one one exception is cars. Cars cars are much more reliable than they used to be. Mm-hmm. When we bought our first cars in the seventies. The expected life was about a hundred thousand miles. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, and now you can easily drive a car two, three, four hundred thousand. You sure. take care of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, depending on the brand. But, uh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> right. That's brand. right. That's right. You're a, <laughs> Nissan, you're a Nissan car salesman. I yeah. forgot. Go go Nissan, right? Yeah, go Nissan. <laughs> I mean, you know, another way to think about it too, just to kind of mention about cars. You know, when I finally paid off my my truck mm-hmm. uh, in 2020. Cool. Congratulations. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. So three years, no car payments. And honestly, when that happened, I was like, wow. You know, I've consistently been paying having a car payment for i don't know 13 years it seemed like i don't know how long it was you know at the time but uh anyhow i was like you know what i'm gonna keep this truck and whatever happens to it even if i have to replace the transmission you know that's still gonna be a heck of a lot cheaper than going back out and buying another 70 80 thousand dollar truck or something you know what i mean that's a seven thousand dollar repair bill or you know, to for the transmission versus the seventy thousand dollar, you know, brand new sticker price on a brand new truck, right. you know, and it's just it just the, again the numbers still make sense to me, yeah, you know, to do it that way at least, and keep driving the old truck. Yeah, I, I, I did the opposite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I paid off my truck in twenty twenty as well. Yeah, yeah, and then I was like, you know, after a year or two, I was like, you know, let's let's go ahead and get a, a new truck. Right. And I, I will say that I do wish I would have kept my old truck. Mm. Yeah, because and this is coming from a car salesman. Coming from a car salesman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's in the business. Yeah, yeah. but the temptation think, is real. Uh, one thing we might talk about is uh, what if you're if you're married or in a situation where you have a partner, uh, how money works. Right. Uh, I think it it's best if everybody's on the same page. Yeah. Uh, if it doesn't, it gets a little more complicated. Uh, my wife is more of a spender than I am. <laughs> yeah. So our cars work on a hand-me-down system. We get a new car every five years. She drives it. I get the hand-me-down. <laughs> and so the car, I give up a car. It's 10 years old. Right. Uh, and I get one that's five years old. And that's worked for us for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but she, you know, it's important to her to have a new car. 
Um, she likes new things, nice things. Um, she's a great wife. I'm delighted to be married to her. So you uh, you do what you have to do. You make concessions, and I think, and, yeah. you know, and I say concessions, but you know, uh, I feel that I understand that, especially with my wife. Um, you know, she does a lot uh, for the family. You know, she's a stay-at-home, a stay-at-home uh, mom, wife. Uh, and at one point in time, I was, I mean, if I'm being honest, I feel bad. Uh, I was a little indignant to it. I was, you know, but I was young. I was in my early 20s. I didn't quite understand it. Then somebody kind of hit me with it. Like, hey, man, if, if you were to put a, a money value to this, she's actually making a lot more money than you would. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And I got to thinking about it. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And then, of course, beyond just the money thing, you know, you just had to take a step back and just look at it. As, as a whole, as, you, know, aside, you know, there's a lot more things that we need than than money to survive as and to live a very happy life, you know, and and a good woman can provide that for me. And, and, and you're more than willing to want to, you know, I won't say reward it, but, you know, just show some sort of an appreciation. And if they're into the finer things and nicer things, then so be it, you know. And I'm me. I'm I'm, I'm a little less maintenance, yeah. so, you know, a little bit lower maintenance. And, uh, you know, that. A hand-me-down would be just fine. Yeah, for me. Maybe that's in our nature. Maybe yeah. that's part of our behavioral finance. You know, our psychological. You know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm kind of curious about that. Is there is there some sort of trend in, in genders as far as you know that men typically trend this way behaviorally when it comes to finances versus women? I mean, there. Um, the only thing I know about is uh, investing. Women tend to do better than men. Wow. Uh, and it's due to trading. There's a study done by Terry O'Dean and Brad Barber in the late 90s, and they, they had, I think it was 10,000 discount brokerage, like access to 10,000 discount brokerage accounts from a firm at the time, and they compared men and women, and the women earned higher returns, and basically they weren't trading as much. It was uh, mm -hmm. all transaction costs. The men were trying to beat the market, and, the and they couldn't. So whatever they spent to make trades came out of their return and lowered their return. So it's attributed to men being more overconfident sure. than women yeah. when it comes to money mm -hmm. and what they attributed it to. Um, I think um, building on what you said earlier, Thomas, the old saying, happy wife, happy life, yeah. is uh, holds a lot of truth. I think you can stretch things out. We, in the old days, we bought a new car every four years, so we pay car payment for three years, save up for a down payment in the fourth year, then we buy a new car. You, yeah. you can stretch it out. You know, so we stretched out for five years. Right. So basically, so you get a new car, but you can't do it as often. Gotcha. Um, we paid our house off in 2007, and Mary came back from a walk, and she said, I found a, and our house was worth about 400000 at the time. Mm. So I found a house I like that would be 700000 and this is just after we paid off our house. Yes. So I, I didn't say anything. I just looked at her. And thankfully, she didn't bring it up again. But <laughs> you know, that mindset of when you pay something off, you move up. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, is is pretty deadly. Sure. Uh, I, I did some calculations. I estimated the cost over the next 15 years for the additional 300000 would have been about 45000 a year. So that's, oh. that's spending money that would have gone right. into the the right. more expensive house. Right, right. Well, and then, okay, and so then we, we had talked about this too. This might have been before the podcast. What do you want to spend your money on? You said yeah. there was the thing that we could choose, we, you know, experiences or, or I guess, material things. Material and, things. And there was, and there was uh, 
there was a, I guess, an, I don't know if it was overwhelming or not, but there seemed to be, there seemed to be more of a, of, of a, of a preference towards experiences. Yeah. yeah. Me and Thomas always joke about, you know, going and doing, you know, cool things. And we're, we're always joking. Oh, all right. How much is this experience going to cost us? You know, right. I mean, there's always a cost to these, you know, experiences, yeah. right? You can find cheap ones. Uh, I, the class exercise I do, and uh, Cody may remember this, is ask people to think about the five times they were happiest in the last five years. And then to classify those as thing, experience, or achievement. Mm. Uh, so uh, then I survey the class and ask each person how many things, how many experiences, and how many achievements they had. I do a quick tally on the board. And typically, experiences are about 80% and things are 10% and achievements are 10%. So the experiences went out. And as we, as we talked earlier, um, things depreciate pretty fast. If you get a new car in six months, it's going to be your old car, right? New house, six months, it's just my house, but experiences build over time. You think about them, you take, look at the pictures, you talk about it. So experiences are a better investment and most of the time they're cheaper. So, hmm. and that's interesting. You know, uh, it's funny because when I think of experiences and I guess you're absolutely right about that, because I have two two young children. And, you know, one of the things that I do with them is one of the things that I remember growing up uh, as a child, which was go to the beach. You know, we go to Galveston. That uh -huh. seems to be a, a, a pretty regular family excursion for us, you know, uh -huh. and. Yeah, of course, it's, cheap. It, it's fairly inexpensive. Uh, you know, we usually have to buy some supplies. At, at yeah. the grocery store and then the gas to get there. It's, it's about 150 bucks to, or, or so nowadays uh -huh. to go to the uh -huh. beach. Um, but it's one of those things that, again, I remember as a kid and, and, uh -huh. and remember f fondly and vividly. And now we're doing that same for, for our children, uh -huh. you know, and, 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 and I'm pretty sure they're going to have the same the same memories as well. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it, I guess it does make sense to 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 put your money towards the experiences. Although kind of like what Cody was saying earlier too, I guess it's just the, 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 the mail in us or maybe, or, or maybe it's just the fact that we have to manage the money. Sometimes it's hard for me to enjoy vacation because I'm just going cha-ching, uh -huh. cha-ching. Cha -ching. I'm uh -huh. seeing, you know, how, how much, uh, how much money is being spent and maybe because I'm not budgeting for it. Right. Perhaps there needs to be a vacation fund, so to speak, an experience fund. Yeah. That's that money is allocated for. Yeah. So, so that way you could spend it guilt-free yeah, carefree carefree yeah. guilt-free or, or whatever the case yeah. may be you know sure. work to stay within that yeah i yeah. think that's a it's a great idea yeah no doubt no doubt and you know like i said just kind of me myself just kind of learning this along the way um and, and and making you know making mistakes or or, or learning things as uh, you know as well, yeah we, we, we all make mistakes so cheap, that's just part codes. of the game yeah but yeah I, what, what we try to do in the behavioral finance class is to reduce the number of mistakes mm -hmm. and maybe the, the severity. Yeah. Well, obviously, the um, 25 former students were able to not just reduce the mistakes, but then, uh, you know, found a way to, to, to a, a path or a road to, to becoming millionaires. Right. You know. Um, so, Dale, what, what was your own path um, to your you know, financial success and your journey and everything? Uh, how, how did you obtain, you know, financial independence? And uh, yeah, it's a good, good question, Cody. So um, in '97, when I read *The Millionaire Next Door*, we were 33 years old. Uh, we 34 years ago today, we arrived in Houston. We moved here, 
our net worth was 75,000 and um, 35,000 was in retirement. We were 36 years old. So we're way behind. Yeah. Um, in 97, I read The Millionaire Next Door with a net worth of about 300,000. I saw that we weren't playing the game very well. So we started investing better. We eventually, we got into index funds and just put more money away. Okay. So I tried to, uh, uh, one of the tricks is when you get a raise is to put a percent away into retirement. So you, the, your company puts in X percent, let's say I don't know, 6%, right. and you're required to put in 5%, and you can optional amount. So each year, say for five years or 10 years, you take 1% of the raise and you put it in retirement. You don't notice it because it's coming from the increase in right. your salary. Right. And five years later, your company puts in six. You're not putting in 10. That's 16%. If you do it for 10 years, um, that's uh, 21%. Uh, so this slow incremental stuff. Um, one of the tricks, too, I think, if you have a spouse who's reluctant to save, when the, uh, when the tech bubble burst, uh, our, I think our investments went down about 20%. Mm -hmm. And I told Mary, well, we need to put all of our raises away for a few years. Um, and she went along with it. So for the next three or four years, all of our raises went into retirement. And we went from, I think it was about, I forget, I have to look it up, maybe 20,000 a year to 35,000 a year going into retirement, mm -hmm. just by putting the raises in. So we, it was a subtle reduction in our cost, of, in our standard of living that inflation kept going and we're spending the same nominal amount, but we're spending less money because the money wouldn't go as far around, but we didn't notice it. I remember, I think it was the second year, she came home and said, I got a 4% raise, so I get to keep any of it. I said, no, it's got to go to retirement. And she went along with it. Um, then with the Great Recession, we we paid off our house in 2007, the Great Recession hit in 2008, and we're again down 20%. Um, and, and we were down, actually we were down a third at, at that time. And we um, we had extra money, so I just started. Um, she managed the amount of money she put aside, but you know I control on my side, so I just kept adding more each year right. to put aside for retirement. And she, you know, she was keeping the same amount of her money, but as a couple, we were saving more. Right. I don't know how else. It's sort of it's it sounds a little bit sneaky, but she, you know, she knew what I was doing. She went along with it, uh, and that worked out pretty well. So we put. I think we put about almost a one and a half point five million into retirement wow. uh, throughout our career. So the catch up was really expensive. Getting you know thirty five thousand age thirty six, we missed that that doubling. Basically, your money. The rule seventy two is you divide the rate of return into seventy two. So if you make ten percent, then in seven years your money doubles. If you make two percent, it takes thirty six years for it to double. Whoa. Uh, so we missed. Um, from, I don't know, say age 25, we missed uh, maybe a couple doublings. I don't yeah. know, I have to, to do that. And that was, so you, you play catch up. Can, um, can, you if we, can you explain that just a little bit in, in more detail? Just just in case, you know, somebody's unfamiliar with the rule of 72. Yeah, I wasn't, yeah. that's the first, this first time I'm hearing it. Yeah, so if you have, let's see, I'm trying to think of a good, good way to explain it. Um, the, the way money accumulates, it's an exponential curve. Right. And mathematically, it's not exactly right, but basically the amount of time to double is 72 divided by your rate of return. So the S&P 500 returns on average about 12%. So if you got 12% per year, 
12 into 72 is six years. It's how long it takes for your money to double. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. And if you, you know, CDs pay, like now CDs are paying 4%, 4 into 72 would be, I think it's 18 years. So it takes three times as long. Okay. Uh, so if you have a friend who's risk averse and says, I don't want to lose any money, they're giving away the higher return. And it takes longer for the money to double. They're not going to have as much. The, right. the cost is that the, uh, the return fluctuates, that there's no investment that returns a steady 12%. That doesn't yeah, that's exist. True. That's true. Right. But right. the S&P 500 returns 12 on average, but it bounces around a lot. Yes. The standard deviation is 22. So that's, those are some incredible highs and lows. Uh, so you have to kind of, uh, you know, fasten your seatbelt and get ready to go. That's it. Or just don't look. Or don't look. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah. And just kind of try to manage those emotions. Again, probably what behavioral finance is, 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 is what it's rooted in, you so, know? So something I feel like uh, behavioral finance taught me was, was actually to, to look forward to the lows. Sure. Because it's on sale, it's right? It's on sale. Yeah. So yeah. whenever, uh, whenever it does dip, then you, you kind of want to try to invest a little bit more if you can, you know, if you're, if you're on some type of like plan where you just invest the same amount every month or whatever, cool. But I mean, if you see it go down, yeah. it, especially if it goes down significantly, try to throw some extra down in there. Well, know? Dale, well, that's kind of what I picked up. What you said, y'all, uh, you and your wife were doing was when you did see a dip in the market, not only were you already on a, on a, on a catch up plan, but when you did see it dip down, you said, well, we're going to put more in now. We're yeah, gonna, all the yeah. raises are going here. Yeah, to kind of supercharge it. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and that's dips, good. Um, dips are hard to take. I think the first dip was the uh, tech bubble, and I don't. I, I guess twenty percent. So we're probably down about I don't know fifty thousand or so. Mm. The Great Recession. We're down a third. We're down four hundred thousand. Yeah. Uh, the COVID crash mm -hmm. took six weeks. We were down eight hundred thousand. Yeah. It's about twenty percent. Right. Uh, but it came back quickly. It did. Uh, and yeah. It's really easy to get scared and say it's gonna, it's gonna go down forever. I'm gonna lose all my money. Right. Uh, but if you, you, know, you gotta, have, I, I'd say to be a successful investor, you need three things. You need to be patient. You need to believe in capitalism, mm -hmm. which is to believe in the stock market. And you be able to take a loss. Yeah. Uh, so you have to trust the market that the market's gonna come back up. Yeah. Uh, and basically, society depends upon the stock market. I mean, we all have a stake on it, it going well. You know, if you don't have money in the market, uh, that capital is going to create jobs and opportunities for everybody. Right. Uh, even if the people at the top are the ones that are kind of benefiting the most. Sure. Yeah. Um, interesting stat. Um, the top 10% have, I think it's 23% of wealth. The I'm sorry, the top 1% have 23%. The next... Oh, I'm blanking on the numbers. But mm -hmm. anyway, the bottom half have like 1% of wealth. Right. Little wealth. Uh, so the question is, how can I get out of that group to be in one of the higher groups? Sure. And a million dollars will put you, net worth will put you in the top 10%. So it's not it's not that much money. No. No, I guess you, not. You look at this stuff. Right. So it's, and you, so it's doable. I like to try to tell my class, uh, so I talk, I'm one of the few people teaching about finance who shares personal information that Cody learned more than he wanted to know about my net worth, my losses, <laughs> how much money we put away each year for retirement, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but I think it's really helpful to have an N01. You know, I didn't, I grew up in a low-income family. Nobody talked about money. You know, right. I don't have any role models. 
So in class, I try to share as much information as I can mm-hmm. to kind of say, oh, so if, if we could do it, you know, then you can do it. Yeah, you know, we're not. There's nothing special about us. We just decided to do it, and it's a knowledge about it. Yeah, you know, it's very practical, very very relatable, and just. Uh, I mean, you can if you had something to share on your screen, you could always share a screen. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it it was very like like I said, practical. You know, he he showed us every kind of every step by step what he did, right? And that you know anyone could kind of do that, right? Same thing if they if they put their mind to it. And I see that that's very commendable because you know you said you'd mentioned that you, know, you didn't really speak about money in your family, but you know I don't think you're alone in that. I think there's a lot of a lot of yeah. families that. That mm-hmm. money seems to be, for some reason, some sort of a taboo mm-hmm. subject, you yeah, know, yeah. And whereas we probably need to be more transparent. So you offering yeah. yourself up like that, you no, no doubt you reached some 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 students that grew up probably the same way where mm-hmm. yeah. money wasn't really openly yeah. discussed. Yeah, my own mother, she said her father never spoke about money, never, you know, they, they lost actually a personal story, but they lost a lot of money in the stock market, mm-hmm. um, like where they had to sell their house, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, but but oh. she, she never knew why. She never knew anything wow. about that. She just knew that we're moving. Oh, we're, we're moving. We're moving one yeah. day. Stock yeah. market went down. We, we got to move now. Yeah. So, but um, had, had she you know kind of been explained, maybe mm-hmm. she could have, I don't know, learned and I don't know. Sure. Uh, Learn something at least. Well, well and it's, it's the same thing. It's just it's just the passing of knowledge, sharing of knowledge. Like we're just saying, we're going to do this for our children. Yeah. We're going to talk about it with with, with our kids. Yeah. You know, or even this right here, just this podcast. You're just trying to pass knowledge, you know, to others who are interested. In Absolutely. That's kind of. I, I know one thing. I talked to some coworkers at work, and and uh, I mentioned how we were going to be speaking with to, to you, Dale. Uh, behavioral finance and a couple of their ears perked up and they're like hey you know i'm gonna i'm gonna want to tune in and check in so <laughs> yeah i don't know if i mentioned this but uh i just had craig blanchfield on uh last month oh. yeah <laughs> craig's one of my former students yeah oh really that's, took, that's awesome he took behavioral finance that, that's really cool uh, i don't think yeah. he mentioned that part but uh no he, he did say he might uh, hop on um to the live stream and and, and heckle a uh-huh. little bit <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great love to see craig there you yeah. go yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but he he had a cool success story. But when COVID hit, um, everything went down, right? Right. Everyone panicked. A lot of people pulled out. I mean, obviously that's kind of what causes the crash. People pulling out, right? Yeah. People pulling out their money. Is that correct, Dale? Yeah, that would be a contributing factor. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that's not the only thing, but yeah, that's a contributing. I mean, mm-hmm. we went we went on total lockdown for crying out loud. So I mean, like yeah. there right. was no money being transferred for right. for well, a lot of well, things. Well, stock that. prices are like you know, it's what people are buying. For. So people are selling, and the people are buying for the the lower price. But I mean, it drives the price down, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of all the stocks and everything. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what, basically, what, what happened was when everything went down, Craig threw a bunch of money in. Okay. Just in, in, into the you know. He saw, guess, he saw the red tag sale. He, he saw the red tag sale. <laughs> he saw the blue light special. Yeah. And then just you know crossed his fingers, and then obviously everything went right back up, and cha-ching. Yeah. You know, so. It, it, it's a good opportunity. That, that's kind of also what taught me, like, hey, when, when the stock market's down, don't panic. Do, yeah. the, do the opposite, you know. You, you would think that this would be, again, common, common knowledge, knowledge now, right? right? Because it, it, how many, uh, this is something that's in history. But it's, we, we study it in history. It, that's the psychological part of it. You know, people uh, are scared because they don't know, is it going to keep going down? You know, because that's one thing that could happen. You know, you, you put your money in and then it keeps going down. And then you'd say, okay, well, technically, I just lost that money. It's like, well, you didn't because you don't lose until you pull out. You don't lose until you sell. 
Well, so I think I'm sorry, go we, ahead, we should note too that you know if you bought Enron, Enron went down and it stayed down and it went away. Right. True. There uh, are so if you invest in individual stocks, individual stocks, yeah. There's but in terms of the market as a whole, right. the big indexes. Yeah, I've, I've invested I think in a stock that went away before. That's yeah, no fun. Uh, that, that, that's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah, but it, it's, but, a, it's a good lesson it's a, to learn. Yeah, I think we should talk too about starting early. Um, so we started late. Now we have we have a nice retirement. We can spend money. We have enough money to last us the rest of our lives. Great. If we'd started, uh, but Mary retired at age sixty-eight. She chose to work till then. I'm still working because I like my job. Right. Uh, the people, my students who were millionaires by age forty, they're talking about retiring at age forty-five, fifty, mm-hmm. and so forth. The options are are there. Uh, I like to say three things that being good with money give you. One is peace of mind. Another is options. Boss comes in tomorrow, transferring you to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. You're paycheck to paycheck. You say, when do I report? If you manage money well, you say, I'll see you around. I can go yeah. four or six months. And the, and the final one is a chance to be generous if you want to be. Sure. You know, if there's some cause, could be your church, could be the school you went to. Um, could be special pals, whatever it might be. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think in that same book, maybe Psychology of Money, I think they talked about that as well, how it gives you um, power over your time. I think that's the, mm-hmm. the biggest you know dividend that, that financial independence pays Yeah, is because your time is the most valuable thing. You know, it gives you the power to say, um, I, I I don't have to, you know, if I if I want to quit my job or if I get fired, sure. you know, I don't have to take the first job that comes along just because I have to, you know, right. pay, pay the bills, you know, um, or, you know, yeah. I, I can I can afford to not work for X amount of time or whatever the case may be, you know, so it, it gives you, you know, I guess power over your time. It's kind of the most important thing, which I mean, I, I know you work a lot. I work, you know, several hours, you know, right. it's the one thing that uh i wish you know i didn't do so much as work you know so many hours i guess if i if i had a you know nice nest egg or whatever the case may be you know i wouldn't have to work so many hours and i could afford you know more time at home or just doing whatever i want to do you know what I mean? sure so i guess that's that's one of the best i think things that money can buy money money you know can't buy happiness but it, it can buy time and you know the, the power to do what you want with it you have to be willing to do to do some of these things then you know, uh, I'll say this uh, last year, because you mentioned the way I work last year, I, I made some of the most money I've ever made. Right. Cool. Working, work, tw- working 12 hour shifts, working swing shifts. Right. And signing up for just about all the overtime I could stomach. Right. And then this year, because of supply chain issues and market demands and what have you, it's the complete opposite. It's actually the mirror opposite. I'm probably going to make the least amount of money I've ever made. Right. So it's so funny to have seen that back to back. I'm actually, I feel very fortunate to have seen that back to back because it did show me the importance of time, mm-hmm. you know, and I signed up for that over time and we were living great and we didn't have to worry about anything. And, um, you know, we could spend and, 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 and our lifestyle reflected that. Whereas this year I had to have kind of like a, a come to Jesus moment with the family mm-hmm. and was like, Hey, look, they're actually cutting our hours, <laughs> you know, now I'm not at a risk of layoff or anything. We'll be okay. But, you know, we have to weather this storm and I'm at home more and I'm finding that I can fill that time and those experiences 
pretty financial, like, like cheaply or so, you mm-hmm. know, or, or rather inexpensively, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and that brings about a, a greater joy. So you're absolutely right. If you can manage those finances and you don't feel obligated to, uh, to sign up for that over again on that overtime book and, and, and what have you, yeah. you know, and you can stay home and, 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 and take part in the things that actually matter the most. Yeah. Let me yeah. ask you, uh, how much overtime do you think you gain between making the most and how much you're making, I guess, you expected to make this year? You mean, what's, what's that difference going to be? Yeah, yeah. It's about $80,000 difference Whoa. as of right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of overtime. Yeah. You know, um, because that's exactly where I'm at right now. Like, I'm $80,000 less gross at, at this year moment, to date. year to date right mm-hmm. now than I was last year, mm-hmm. you know? And... I mean, that's just, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, guys like me who grew up in this area get into the plants. We weren't going to go to college. We weren't going to go get the, I don't want to say fancy degree. I don't mean it like that, but you know what I mean? We were just going to be blue collar kids. That's how we grew up. And we're going to get in the plants and we're going to make good money. Yeah. And, uh, and, and most people do that. The, uh, what's funny, not all companies do this. My company sure, surely didn't. But ExxonMobil actually takes their new hires through a financial course on how to manage their money and, t- and teaches yeah. them about retirement. Yeah, I remember I had a buddy of mine that he hired in with Exxon, and he said, man, you, you won't believe the class to put me in. I said, they're doing that for a reason, because <laughs> you're about to make some money here. You're going to have some extra income, yeah. stuff that, we weren't, that we're not used to yeah. growing up with. It's so funny. I, I remember telling somebody at work, I said, I got, I got such a middle-class blue-collar state of mind like if i because we were talking about the powerball powerball if you won it was like up to uh, almost like 900 million you know the cash value was 400 something whatever it was it's a billion now well yeah yeah, well and and somebody actually won it but anyways i remember thinking like i'm so middle-class with my thinking like if i won if someone gave me that large amount of money i'd be like uh so maybe i can buy two side-by-sides now like i don't know you know what i mean i don't know what to do you know but i mean obviously we we everyone fantasizes about what they would do yeah. if they won the big jackpot and yeah. you know this that and the other but uh it's just funny it's just it's just again i'm not alone in that my demographic that's kind of how we think and, and we got to get a handle on that and and do better you yeah. know don't rely on that overtime income that's that's coming in extra put in more yeah. in your retirement yeah if you think about it, whatever it's whatever debt you had, whatever credit card bills, you know, your truck or whatever, you could have paid off a big chunk of that with that eighty thousand. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and that's hopefully, and that's, hopefully some of that went that direction. It did, it did, awesome. good, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, I think you know when things are flush, if you make provisions to get ahead, paying down debt, building up your reserve fund retirement, that's good philosophy. Yeah. But, so how much should somebody have like in a reserve? Fund, like an emergency fund they say three to six months of expenses right so that would be like you know your mortgage groceries gasoline electricity that kind of stuff okay gotcha yeah so six months we, of expenses and, and obviously the, the goal would be to have no debt along with that yes yeah a life fund. I, I don't know how many people actually live Debt like that, yeah. Like that's. It seems like a tall order when 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 somebody in that lower fifty percent, yeah. you know, thinks about it, because uh, most people live paycheck to paycheck or at least yeah. month month to month. Where you know, if they yeah. if they didn't work the following month, they wouldn't be able to pay the bills. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're definitely in a bind at that moment for sure. Yeah, and and I see that a lot. 
uh, at my work and things like that. It's yeah, change in thinking. You have to change the family system. Yeah, I don't know how else to put it. I having some place to hide the money. There you go. Uh, to hide it from. Uh, Mary has a friend who's not very good with money. At one point, she had a financial planner. The financial planner held her money and gave her cash to spend. Mm. Uh, like, like an allowance. Last, <laughs> like an allowance. Yeah. I think that lasted yeah. about six months. And she <laughs> then was back on her own and things are uh, back to as they were before. Oh. But that was, for her, yeah. that's sort of what it took. So it really, people are wired differently. Sure. Didn't you tell uh, me you had an allowance you gave yourself? Yeah. I, I have a... It used to be, I don't know, 40 years ago, it was 20 bucks a week. I'd buy gas, I'd go out to lunch, I'd buy music with that. $20 went a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, now my allowance makes 100 bucks a week. Right. That's a, very, um, that's a very interesting point that you say that, though, how, how the dollar stretched better back uh-huh. then versus now. And, of course, we're all feeling it right now, just at the grocery store. You know, yeah. you go there to buy a handful of things and you're walking out. 80 bucks. We know this. I'm not saying anything that we don't, that we don't already feel, you know, but you know, uh, you have to, how do you weather that? How, how do you still manage to try to buy the, I mean, you're trying to buy the same things you bought last year. Yeah. They, uh-huh. just, they cost more. Everything's going up except your paycheck. So if they, <laughs> right. So if, if that's eaten into your, you know, now that that's going to eat into your potential to invest it. True. Mm-hmm. You know, that, 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 that money. So how do you manage that? You yeah, well, what's the best way to live below your means, basically? I think you, you always try to cut expenses, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, 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 power to choose. Uh, okay. We're given the opportunity to pick our electric provider. Sure. And it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Uh, I see ads where they say, we pay, uh, we pay the hottest days of the month, or we pay, I don't know, half the month or something, or we pay... You only pay the weekends or something, okay. but they're charging a higher rate mm-hmm. and they're charging more than the bottom dollar provider. Right. So I think everywhere, everywhere you can, you look to find a better way. Things like, um, you know, car repairs, do you use your, your local mechanic or do you use the dealership right. can make a difference. Right. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Use the dealership, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Dealership. Definitely. No, no I, I, I get that. And, you know, unfortunately this year I actually had to do something that I haven't done before. I actually took a hit on my uh, home insurance and mm-hmm. I, and I purposely told my insurance agent, I said, listen, lower my coverage mm-hmm. and raise my deductible, please. Because right now we're in a pinch. And I said, so I need that premium to be as low as it can go, you know, right. and she and she was able to help me out because I was looking at almost a thousand dollar difference as far as it, or up or more rather. Mm. And I was able to reduce that down to like, I think it was like a hundred bucks more. Cool. It still went up because yeah. <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah. But I had them, I had to make those concessions. And, and unfortunately, and I've just kind of got the fingers crossed. You know, we were hit with a dang tornado this year in Deer Park, Texas. That, that's never happened right. in this in yeah. this neck of the woods. We were hit yeah. with a bona fide F3 tornado. Wow. We had a major hailstorm. All of my neighbors were getting new roofs. I didn't get anything. <laughs> but anyways, but again, fingers crossed. We didn't really sustain that much damage. What what was damaged, I was able to pay for out of pocket. No problems. Mm. Yeah. and or repair it myself. So I'm kind of hoping that this year, same kind of thing. Yeah. We, we're able to 
quite literally weather whatever storm might come right. just because again i had to i had to make those concessions on my insurance coverage if we get hit with something crazy i'm not going to get a whole a whole lot from yeah. from all state they yeah, they pretty deductible. much they pretty much wrote the wrote the the book on it but you know mm-hmm. it is what it is so i guess you're I right that- Track expenses yeah. just to figure out, find out where the money goes. Right. Where's the money go? A, a friend of mine, he's now 93. Mm-hmm. He was an accountant. He was a treasurer for Brown and Rook. So he was a very, very responsible guy. He oh, tracks yeah. it to the penny. Oh, I, yeah. I don't. Uh, I do a tally at the end of the year. If I'm within a couple thousand, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, but I know the major categories. This much went to insurance, to cars, to retirement, to health care, right. to food, to clothing for my wife. To music for me sure uh and you look for areas and one of the things of uh, so instead of having my bank give me a summary i i use a spreadsheet and i copy from the from online okay. so each of the numbers is i look at it i think about it uh so if when you when you kind of get that kind of sense of where the money's going right. so you see where the problem area is say well how can i cut uh that's that's a helpful thing to do absolutely and that's cool so you use a spreadsheet excel spreadsheet anything any, yeah just any an excel sp- spreadsheet cool. i'm yeah. sure there are more efficient ways to do it oh yeah uh, you, another they, thing i learned from the first class <laughs> i do the same thing it's track your money yeah from the from the bank you can download all your expenses mm-hmm. in an excel spreadsheet and then i just go through and categorize them was this food was this gas was this entertainment etc and then uh use a quick little formula sum them all up and you can see how much money is going into what category Mm -hmm. and then you can kind of decide okay well we spent too much on entertainment we spent you know too much at the grocery store too much on fast food you know x right shows you where your money's going that's smart a good expression is what gets measured gets managed Mm -hmm. nice that what gets measured gets managed yeah we might we might talk about financial dashboard you know what numbers do you pay attention to uh, like I, that net worth is the most important number. Can you briefly explain net worth? What's that, Cody? Can you briefly explain net worth to people who maybe sure. don't know, understand? So net worth is concept. your total assets, everything you own minus your liabilities. So if I own a hundred thousand dollar house, I owe fifty thousand on it. One hundred thousand minus fifty thousand, that's fifty thousand of the house I own, that goes in my net worth. Yeah. Plus the value of my car, any savings I have, any investments, and so forth. Uh, and that number should go up over time. That's right. that's a number that um, most people don't don't know about or don't pay attention to. Mm-hmm. But that's the that's the most important number. That's the one you want to see go up over time. Uh, other things you might put in your dashboard, you know, money you owe, your credit cards, your mortgage, you have student loans. Uh, your bank accounts, your checking, your savings account, your reserve account. So I just track those over time. Those are things I pay attention to. Yeah. The net worth I look at once a year on January 1st. I look at the investments first every month. But I look at the bank accounts every day. Yeah, I go on to see if uh, we're getting Social Security now, Mary's getting a draw from retirement. So I look to make sure those checks got there. And I just kind of track to see how things are going. If there's extra money, it goes to the reserve account. Right. Absolutely. So, so back to your story, uh, when did you, I guess, um, well, I mean, I can ask, when did you become a millionaire? Like, do you remember in when? In 2007. 2007? That's when you became a millionaire's next door. And you're using net worth to calculate net that? Net worth, yes. So that's everything. That's house, that's retirement, 
Yeah, so cars. It's not, it's not just the physical money you have in your bank account. Not just you know the the bank account number is one million. It's it's all your assets. Yeah, the net worth. Your uh-huh. debt essentially. Oh, okay, got it. You know what I mean? So yeah, if you if you have a, a million dollar house, but like you said, you owe, you know eight hundred thousand on it. Well, you're not a millionaire in your house. Yeah. You're, you're you're only at two hundred thousand there, mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as that goes. So, okay, uh, and and then uh, where did you go from there in two thousand seven? Um, I'm trying to think. So now, now we're at uh, over five million, roughly five and a half. So it's gone up over time. We took advantage of the uh, of the, the uh, bounce back after the Great Recession. Right. Mm. Um, we took a, actually we're we were within a, a hair of six million in net worth, but then that was on January first of 2022, uh, and we dropped down to under five million. So we're down a million dollars last year. But now we're we're almost back up to where we were before it's bounced back. You said so. Something. The big big advantage once you hit your first million, the second million is a lot easier, mm-hmm. and you hit your second million, <laughs> the third million is a lot easier yeah. than that, and the fourth million, fifth million, sixth million. So if we'd start at age twenty, you know, I'd probably be talking about well, we're worth ten million or fifteen million. Mm. Uh, but because we got started late, you know, we put one and a half million into retirement, and now we're sitting at about five and a half million. Uh, with with our investments and so forth, because we started so late. Yeah, well, I mean, you said so, it doubles every six years if you're investing in the S and P. So I mean, yeah, every every seven, yeah, every seven, so, yeah, roughly. If you, I mean, it's um, so uh, getting in and playing the game and being patient. Uh, yeah. So I said drudgery. It's drudgery at first, but once you hit the the upward part, then it gets right. to be fun. The fun part's when you're making money. Yeah. The, the losing part isn't much fun. Sure. I don't. I don't like that at all. Oh yeah. I think. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> yeah, so to get the big returns, you got to take some losses. It's just. It's part of life. You know, I play it safe. It's in a CD. I'm making two percent. No. Yeah. No. No. Or if you hold retirement money, that's not good enough. Right. No. You're absolutely right about that. If you put it in the shoebox, it's actually losing money. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you count for recession, so or excuse me, inflation rather. Um, so. Would you recommend, or or do you do? Or excuse me, or do you yourself use a financial advisor or so, or, or or someone to manage y'all's y'all's financial wealth or anything? Or y'all do? That um, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I need to. We we have over five hundred thousand invested with TIAA. So I've met with an advisor there once. Right. One of their sort of downtown advisors. I need to do that again. That was like three or four years ago. Okay. Uh, but I don't. Um, Let's see. Advisors are incentivized to put your money. Many advisors are incentivized to put your money in things that make them money. Sure. So to put you in actively managed funds with high fees, to charge have, have an advisory fee, which can be pretty high, it can be one percent or so. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always, um, I always figured I, I, I thought I knew enough to do it on my own. Now I, it's good to go in for fine tuning, but I don't need somebody to tell me, you know, every six months what I can spend and so forth. Right. to tell me uh, uh, but that's my situation somewhat unusual in that uh, well with a, with degrees in business and teaching behavioral finance you know I'm in the stuff all the time I'm learning stuff I know people I can ask questions of but we've you know we've made plenty of mistakes and there are mistakes that advisor could have cha- could have saved us from I mentioned the 500,000 in cash the advisor would probably have a smarter smarter way to to handle that um, it's in most of it's in I bonds in inflation bonds mm-hmm. and about 80,000 of it's just in a 
essentially a money market account, which is our reserve reserve fund. Okay, which makes I'm sure more than just a, a regular savings account. Yeah, somewhat as, more. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> that's why I opened up that Betterment account. And I told you when I started managing my own escrows, mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'll just take care of this myself. I was tired of getting a, a check from, or excuse me, a, a letter rather from our mortgage company saying, hey, you're, we anticipate your escrow is going to be X amount more. So we're going to be charging you this amount. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to manage this myself and I'll have the money grow from me. And Betterment, since it's an online bank yeah they don't have a lot of of i Fees. guess well yeah right they don't have brick yeah. and mortar places or anything like that so they mm. can afford to have a money market a savings or what they call it like they like their their savings that brick i think it four percent annual yield oh, which is good. way more than way more than 0.25 percent yeah oh yeah. <laughs> yeah one of the interesting differences in generations people my generation don't trust online sources right. people of your generation don't trust in-person people yeah. <laughs> and trust online. So it's right. kind of, it's a really, really interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But I think a lot of it is just to, to think about it and to read about it. Um, you can read stuff online there. The wall street journal, the Washington post you have columnists that write every, you know, every week, the Chronicle does too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you find authors you like, we should mention Dave Ramsey and the total money makeover. Oh yeah. In my judgment, Dave Ramsey makes gives lousy investment advice. <laughs> and in my opinion, no one should follow Dave's advice. He says to be 100% in stocks, no matter how old you are. Oh, okay. But he gives wonderful advice for getting out of debt. So if you look up his seven baby steps, they've helped tens and tens of thousands of people get out of debt. And right. they're they're really, uh, really helpful, I think. Was that the, the guy... The kind of loud guy who uh, very inspirational, motivational guy that Kramer. you showed the videos of. No, oh, I, I don't know. Who, who was that? Do you remember the the people had uh, he had people come on his like radio show and. Uh, that's Dave Ramsey. Yeah, Dave, that's oh, yeah. Dave Ramsey. That's yes. Dave Ramsey. Yeah, that's what that. Um, yeah, th- there was a few yeah. videos I watched in your class uh, that were kind of motivational, inspirational. Um, there was that one. There was the one about you know fire, you know. Financial yeah. independence retire early. early. Yeah. Good. 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 Um, I like that Dave Ramsey has people who have become gotten out of debt um, go on his show. Actually, oh, yeah. they go to his his place in Nashville and they scream at the top of the lungs, "We're we're debt free." Right. But yeah. those, uh, it's really drudgery to keep. You know, you got your system. You keep working it. You keep working it. Watching those occasionally is uplifting. It's inspirational. Sure. It's Cody said. Yeah, absolutely. there are people who didn't think they could get out of debt who are out of debt and how free they feel. Right. That's got to um, be a good one. That, yeah. One that Cody saw, if you go on, on YouTube, you look up Dave Ramsey and you look up Stephen, the trainer from Austin, Texas. Mm. Uh, that's that's roughly 12 minutes. Uh, Dave Ramsey, Stephen, the trainer from Austin, Texas, that Stephen is riding his motorcycle and a drunk driver hit him and lost his leg below his oh, knee. man. Uh, so he's continued as a trainer and he's also continued powerlifting. He competes with people that have both their limbs right. and is placing. So he's very, it's, it's just a wonderful clip because he came from such a down place mm-hmm. and now he's on top of things and he's so excited about it right. and he's so emotional about it right. uh, that those, those are just really helpful for keeping your focus and keeping motivated. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's easy to lose, lose motivation, lose track. You know, and it's, you know, real easy to get down in the dumps again, kind of back to the psychology of things, you know, you can let that doldrum play out or yeah. you can 
do the do the dirty work, do the hard dirty work, and just kind of stick with it. Work the plan. Try to stay as consistent and 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 uh, honest with it as as you can. And and that's, the results. That's a great term. Yeah, the results to say honest with it. Honest, yeah, because the yeah. results will speak for themselves. I mean, it's just like anybody who like works out or tries to diet and stuff. Yeah. And the very beginning of it is just you don't see any results, yeah. and it's just such a such a lifestyle change, and, and can be very inconvenient and all these other different you know yeah. things, but. but Hard work once is, those once those results start to appear, yeah. it's real easy to snowball a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, then then your own you're motivated yeah. by your own results. But right. if you can get if you can supplement that with watching, you know, and when you find yourself down in the dumps or, or about something financially, you know, like you said, click on that that YouTube video of yeah. that of that, of that man Stephen in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Maybe it'll inspire you to stay the course. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, be, <clears throat> being in debt can be crippling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it can be depressing. Uh, I read a, a, I guess not article, but a, a story about a guy who was in so much debt. Uh, he he, you know, killed himself. And he took his life. He took his own life. He, he had a family. He you know he, he took a last picture of him. You know, a picture of him just weeping, just because he he saw no other way out. Mm. So I mean, it, it can be debilitating, and you know, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but. Uh, obviously that's never the answer and and you know there, yeah. there's always a way out you know what i mean like yeah like you just have to work hard um like be extremely uh just like uh responsible you know what i mean discipline discipline that's that's the better word discipline mm. um and and yeah you you can do it i mean i i was myself in crippling debt for you know the, i guess the better part of my 20s yeah and then just through diligence and uh, just attacking it full force. How'd it feel? Fantastic. I, I think <laughs> I think I actually paid uh, off my last credit card uh, at the time. Yeah. During Dale's class. Oh. Like while, while I was in there. Great. Like and it was it was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And look at that positive reinforcement you're getting too it, it, by taking yeah. this class. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. It, it was very serendipitous and like it, yeah it felt it felt really good so. Good deal. Um. Do you have any um, any other like books or anything that you recommend? Uh, I know you mentioned a few. Um, you sent me a few. I know you had me read several. So uh, the Millionaire Next Door, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, uh, Misbehaving by Richard Thaler, um, and then I, I, I talked about Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, and I'm, I'm reading right now The Simple Path to Wealth by J. L. Collins. I don't know if you've read that one. No, I haven't. I think that. I think uh, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey's good book. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Kiyosaki's Rich Rich Dad Poor Dad. Oh yeah, I think it's a good book. Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. yeah. When you read that, you got to keep in mind that he he rode the Hawaiian land boom mm -hmm. that he was buying and selling real estate as it was rocketing upward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but I think I like about his story. He talked about his poor dad was his biological dad yeah. who was a had a bachelor's degree, was a bureaucrat in the Hawaiian government. His dad's goal for him was for Richard to uh, get a bachelor's degree and work in government. His best buddy, Mike, had a dad who was an entrepreneur, and Mike's dad took Kiyosaki under his wing and taught him about wealth building. Yeah. So his buddy's dad was his rich dad. Uh, yeah. So I think that that metaphor is really good. When I when I give talks about money, or I teach my class, I'll show up, I'll tell that story and show the cover of the book, I'll say, for the purpose of this class or the next hour, think of me as your rich dad. <laughs> so I think for, you know, to identify somebody who you think is pretty good with money, who you can talk to, 
is uh, is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's. Um, we should talk for just a minute about losses. How you take losses? Yeah. Uh, I think Cody has said three or four times, "Don't look." I think that's great advice. If you have to look, think about it in terms of your net worth. When we we're down a third in our retirement account, we started at 1.2 million, and we finished at the lowest point at 800,000. Uh, if you say we lost 400,000, which was quite a bit more than we earned that during that time, it, it's a crushing loss. We've got to get it. We can't take any more of this. Sure. But if you say, okay, I was at 1.2 million, now I'm at 800,000, that's not as big a deal. It's easier. So you always think about losses in terms of your overall amount or, or net worth. I like that. You reframe it, reframe it so that way you yes, have a positive perfect. outlook yeah. on it. Yeah. yeah. I read, I think, one of those books, uh, when the market's down and you see all those losses, you yeah. know, maybe due to some type of recession, mm -hmm. it's like, well, you think, okay, well, I'm down, you know, 100,000, 800,000, whatever, but you're in a recession. So yeah. I mean, take that into consideration. The cost of living is, you know, th th things are going to be a little bit cheaper. You know what I mean? Yeah, at so. least not go, go up. Yeah. So I think it's all a lot of just mind games. Yeah. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. You try to fool yourself yep. into doing good things. You have to. You have to hide your money away. Don't look at losses. Don't compete with your neighbors. The the hide your money. I like the hide your money. I like y'all's. Um, the way that that you and your wife Mary had had handled that because uh, y'all both have to sign off on this one account. So yeah. if someone uh, I guess is is tempted to, you know, let's just say pull out five grand for a down payment on a on a car or something, or, or maybe just pull out the whole amount for buy the car out, all outright. Well, that second person has to co-sign on it, and then that gives you that opportunity to go. Are, are we sure about this? Is this something yeah. that? You know, and, and that, that that can be helpful, especially if you have a strong partner by your side mm -hmm. that's, you know, goal oriented, that can kind of smack you out of it, you know, and, and be like, remember what we're trying to do here. You yeah. know, but if you don't have that, then you, you, you would you still need to find another way where. So, for instance, OK, I have that Betterment account. Right. It's specifically supposed to be for insurance premiums and taxes and, and things of that nature. But I'm just going to be honest. There's been times where I've dipped into it for things other than that, mm -hmm. you know, because it's there and I, and I have access to it. You know, yeah. it would almost be better if I was able to. I trust you. You yeah. know, and you know, we've been friends for a very long time. You know what I'm saying? I trust you with with with, with I, I almost feel like I'd have to give you the money. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and only you have access to it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that way, I you know, I wouldn't be tempted or if or if I was, you can kind of be that that voice of reason that that the good good devil or excuse me, angel devil, yeah. you know, on the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, know? for a small fee, I'm sure he can. uh be yeah. happy to manage your money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More than happy to. Here we go. Here we go. Money for, managers. For nominal fee. Yeah, but I guess you need to find something uh, uh, something that would work to, to where yeah, you can hide so, that money yeah. successfully. Something or, different works for, for everybody. Right. But it's just, uh, I think um, it's like life. It's a practice. You know, it's something you work at. You don't, um, you don't flip a switch and everything changes. Yeah. You just have to keep working at it day by day. Yeah. You make mistakes and you backslide. You just try to try to keep after it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Craig said the the first step is just creating the the I guess network of taking the money out, even if it's only a couple bucks, you know, sure. tw twenty bucks yeah. out of your account, out of your you know, a paycheck or whatever mm -hmm. it is, and then just connecting it to some type of you know other savings account. Yeah, just to have just to have the network connected. You know, it's just twenty bucks a month or. or paycheck, whatever it is, yeah. and then steadily over time increase that. But having the framework there, you know, just creates that that little bit of a connection to 
you know, get it started. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you've already got the <clears throat> the the way for it to already happen automatically. Automatically, yeah. So you know, so you don't even see it. You you never even saw yeah. it. You know, in your account to begin with. It, right. You don't feel the loss of it. You know, leaving your account. Yeah. It's just it was never there to begin with. Yeah, I think a, a metaphor I find helpful is uh, when you manage money well, it's like running downhill. Mm. When you don't manage money well, it's like running uphill. Yeah, it's it's a strain. And my guess, Cody, it's been uh, three years, four years since you took my class. So you've been you're out of debt for four years, but now you're just kind of cruising. You know, you don't you don't worry about money. You got things covered. Uh, there's money going toward retirement. You got a good reserve account. You're just kind of cruising along. I'm getting there, getting there. Yeah, yeah. But your whole, but your whole, uh, how you experience life changes when you're you're kind of free of that burden of yeah. making the money stuff work. Um, yeah, it, it definitely helps uh, being debt free. Like I said, I, I I made the, I guess unwise financial decision of you know buying an, a new truck, so that kind of helped or didn't help uh, you know my my debt situation. <laughs> but, well, uh, well, you had a friend in the industry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and you know, I mean, it's, isn't it fair to say too though that you can take on some amount of debt as long as it's manageable. Manageable, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so your house, obviously, your house note. That's good debt. It's supposed to be considered good debt. Right. You know, and then typically you look at a car and you're, yeah, that's bad debt, yeah. you know, or whatever. It depreciates. Because, because of, yeah, because of all of that. But I mean, it's as long as you can still manage it and fit it into to your budgets, you should be fine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. As long as you, you know, <laughs> never miss a payment, that's horrible for like, you know, like your credit and things like that. Of you're, course. Um, but if you're missing payments, it, then it wasn't it it wasn't fit for your financial right budget in the first place. You right. see what I'm saying? If you're missing payments, right. So that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, a lot of good things here that we that we spoke about, Dale. I know you, I know you had a few other books um, you sent me. Uh, well, Mikey, uh, you you have a few pulled up. Uh, Mikey J's our uh, he's our producer. Uh -huh. So there was the five, was it, was it five secrets you must discover before you die? Was that one of them? Yeah, that's a, a really good book. That's written by a former minister named John Izzo. Now he's a consultant. Okay. He and his colleagues interviewed 200 wise elders, people over 60 who were considered wise and asked them about their life. And they pulled out these five lessons. Uh, so the lessons aren't that earth shaking. I think to most of us, be true to yourself, leave no regrets become love, live in the moment, and get more than you receive. Huh. But the stories are fantastic. Yes. Um, one of the stories, uh, Izzo was a minister, new minister, and he went to a funeral home to deliver, to oversee a service for a man who lived in the community for many years. And it was only Izzo and the funeral director that this guy had so alienated everybody around him, nobody came to his funeral. Wow. He had kids that lived within driving distance. Uh, so that's, I, I just can't imagine being that mean to people. Yeah. Uh, uh, another story, a woman was flying home to her mother's funeral and she went to visitation and there was a person came and stayed, which no one knew, you know, she, the woman and her family. So she walked over and said, I'm the daughter of the deceased. How do you know my mother? And the uh, woman said, well, I was very despondent. I was thinking of taking my life. I had to sit by your mother while I was riding home on the bus. And she encouraged me and I, I'm here today. So I didn't wow. know her name, but I saw her picture in an obituary. So I came to pay my respects. Whoa. So it's just a, 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 the book is just filled with stories like that. Right. Uh, my favorite among the uh, the five things you must learn is li uh, 
no regrets. Izzo interviewed 200 wise elders, and nobody regretted something they'd done. They, they only regretted things they hadn't done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take, take the trip, write the book, uh, all these different things. Right. So uh, I really like that book. Um, another book I like is uh, Michael Feiner, uh, The Finer Points of Leadership. So mm-hmm. it's basically, it's one of the best management books I know of. It contains no research. It's just Feiner's observations. He was chief operating officer for PepsiCo, and he retired. And he wrote this book. So it's about his experiences. It's things like um, tell the emperor the emperor has no clothes. It's um, building a cathedral one and two. So as you're as Cody is working with a sales team, he it's not just about making money. It's about helping families. It's about helping in the transportation so they can get their kids to where they need to be so they can get to their job. They succeed. Got it. Uh, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like a lot of corporations, and that's funny because Lubrizol just put out, that's who I work for, Lubrizol just put out a, a survey and they, they wanted employee feedback on their mission statement. And I kind of thought that that was not necessarily, uh, I, I actually I actually was appreciative of that, to be honest with you. They, they wanted some sort of input from, from all of their employees. But when I was reading their mission statements, uh, it was real easy to see that what they're trying to do is, 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 you know, we can say in one hand, we just make chemicals. Well, yeah, of course, we make chemicals and we make certain products, you know, using, uh, you know, proprietary uh, formulas and, and, and equipment and what have you. But they it went further to, to basically give us like a bigger purpose, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. and I, and that's a, that's kind of what 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 I, what I was getting back whenever you were speaking, Dale, about, uh, you know, saying, hey, you know. Cody to his sales to his sales team. You know, we're, we're not just selling people cars. We're we're giving them transportation that they can take their families back and forth uh, safely and get to their jobs safely and just things of that nature. We can help. It, it, we're selling them the tools to be productive members in society and better their lives and everything else. And, yeah, I mean, and if you 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 frame that purpose in in that way. Yeah. You know, yeah, everyone needs a car to get, do what they need to do. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I think it gives you also too. It's like it, it gives you more of a of a of a. Okay, a I'm not just I'm not just trying to sell you a car, right. so I can make the commission, so I right. can make all the good money. I'm not gonna be wrong. Yes, I, I need I need to do that to provide for my families right. and provide for our families. But if you come, if you I think if you frame it in that sort of that sort of way, now now what you're doing because us. Let's be real. Car salesmen don't really have the best reputation. Right. But if you were able to frame it in that kind of way, now you, a car salesman looks like somebody who's a noble person, you know, you know someone that's yeah. out there doing a, a good thing for society. Yep. You know? Yeah, I sold I like a car that. to a, a woman just the other day, and, you know, she needed a car to, you know, get to work, right? Her car broke down. Sure. She, she couldn't, you know, support her family without the car. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. It's, it's it's definitely it, it's a good feeling you know to be able to to help people exactly like that so gives you greater purpose yeah what else you got Dale um, I think the other book was by John Cowan it's called Small Decencies he also was a minister turned consultant mm-hmm. but it's just observations on life uh, one of my favorites he's got a chapter check the title here titled Sailing Through a Career. And he uses a metaphor, a sailboat versus motorboat. Uh, I have a brother-in-law who worked as a physician for 40 years, now retired. In high school, he decided to want to be a family practice physician. And that he went straight there. So he's the motorboat. Other people are sailboats. The wind kind of blows them different directions. Mm. So I had five majors, 
three degrees in three different areas. I'm one of the world's biggest sailboats. Yeah. Uh, but I went interesting places. I wouldn't be where I went, am today. I wouldn't know about behavioral finance if I hadn't gone to those places. So I just had to accept who I was. If you're a sailboat, it's reassuring to hear about that, that other people are sailboats. You just have to be patient until you find some place where it's things are good and you sink your anchor. Right. So that's the kind of thing that Cowan talks about in his book. Um, small decencies. But again, it's blanking out. Yeah. So. What about some of the other um, you know, major principles that you talked about in, during class? Um, what, what are some of the, the bigger bigger points, some of the you know, broader pictures that you had uh, had us learn in your uh, behavioral finance class? Um, I think one of uh, one of the big things is learning how the system works so you can work the system. Learning how the system works so you can work the system. So I think in behavioral finance, we're trying to learn how money works. We're also trying to learn how our minds work so that we can optimize both of them. So you're you're always trying to figure out how things work and then how you can manipulate it. Uh, so for manipulating money, out of sight, out of mind works great. Cody, you mentioned Craig's recommendation that even 20 bucks, you have it automatically taken out of your account. It's out of sight, out of mind. You don't think about it. Your retirement money, whatever you have taken out in addition to the required amount, out of sight, out of mind. You never think about it. That's a very, so that's, uh, so I'm always, if you can see inside my head, I'm always trying to figure out systems, I guess, figure out people so I can manage them as, most effectively. Uh, typically, when I get what I want, other people are getting what they want too. So it's better for everybody is part, part of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, let, me, let me try to think. Um, it, it has been a few years since I've taken your class. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do. away. I do remember. Um, I mean, you you always had little little stories, uh, little uh -huh. videos. Uh, what, what are some of the ones you remember off the top of your mm -hmm. head that uh, were you know had like a big impact or just had a you know, a good a good message at least? Yeah, I think um, uh, when we first moved to Houston, I drove an '84 Honda Accord, a hatchback, blue hatchback. And uh, it was a molded fuse panel with 10 fuses, and three of the fuse holders molded down. It was still drivable. So I went to a local dealership, Honda dealership, and they wanted 150 for the panel and $200 for installation, I think is what it was. So I asked at a local uh, garage, I asked the local service station. They said, we don't do that. Go to Ray's Electric in uh, Gulfton. So I went there, I dropped the car off, I picked it up, I thought it'd be 150 for the part. I'd save 100 bucks on the price of putting it in, so it'd be 250. And I asked Chris, the owner, how much it was. He said 26 bucks. Mm -hmm. I just looked at him, dumbfounded. I said, how can that be? The panel was 150. He said, well, I wired around the individual, those three individual fuses. So I put in these little fuse holders. So it's only 26 bucks. And that's when I knew I found my mechanic. I still take the car to the same shop. And he could could have charged me two fifty, but he chose to charge me twenty six bucks instead. Yeah. So by looking at, uh, you always look at behavior. Uh, behavior carries a bigger weight than what people say. So in that case, behavior spoke volumes of who Chris was and how he did business. Right. I bet you karma uh, drives a lot of that too. Oh yeah. You know, I'm a I'm a firm believer in karma. It's kind of hard not to, you know. And if you're going to put that out there, 
you better believe it's going to come right back, whatever it may be. Yeah. It's not, not always negative. If you yeah. put good out there, you're going to get some good back. Right. <laughs> and you're being honest and you're shooting straight with people. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's returning the favor. I mean, definitely on like a one-to-one, like a person-to-person. Sure. But then, yeah, just out there in the universe, they say, you know, you, you kind of, you, you get what you uh, you put out. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, in terms of figuring out who people are, I mean, basically you give them, I think you give them the opportunity to treat you badly. Sure. If they don't, <laughs> that's a good sign. There you go. And if they do, <laughs> you find out that's a, that's a quick lesson. That's okay. It. I need to find somebody else to work with. That's it. That's it. And then uh, no, no loss there. You just, Hey, that's, that's part of experiencing life. And then you move on. <laughs> Yeah. So those are some old man observations. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other uh, words of wisdom for us? I think I pretty well tapped myself out for the day, Cody. <laughs> it's been so much fun. I'm grateful to you and Thomas for inviting me to join you. Dale, I I, I want to I definitely want to second that. I, I'm extremely grateful uh, for you taking the time to speak with us. Um, again, I, I I haven't really taken any college courses, but. If I was to ever just randomly take a college class, I'd love to take oh, <laughs> your it, class in behavioral finance. That's that's awesome. And actually, just even speaking just just briefly that we did today, uh, it was good to it was good to know that some of the principles that I've been following and and some of the research I've done on my own isn't isn't too far off. Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Speaking of which, I, I had to actually fight to get into his class. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. It, his class fills up rather quickly. Oh, does it? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, uh, I, I remember I, I just went in there and I just kind of sat in the class for the first day. Yeah. And, and just like, I'm going to take this class. It was full. I, I wasn't on the actual, you know, uh, roster. And, uh-huh. I, and then I just waited for someone to drop out. Because inevitably somebody has to drop out due to schedule conflicts or whatever the case may be. And and as soon as that person dropped out, I was like, screw right in there. (laughs) So so I I definitely appreciate you helping me out. I think you you helped me out on that one too, Dale. I think I might have told you. I think I was was mean to Cody. He told me he was trying to get in the class. I basically kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, good luck. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) Somebody's going to have to drop and and you're going to have to work your way up the list. So I was was, uh, was delighted when things worked out. That when Cody coming to class spoke about his desire to take the class. I don't control who gets in. The sure. system does. Yeah. But I was was glad when that worked out. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm glad I I'm glad I did. Yeah. I definitely learned a lot, like I said. Uh my my favorite class, you know, was his class and and uh, I appreciate your time and, and I appreciate you uh you meeting with us, you know, via Zoom. I mean this was actually kinda cool. Uh, we've never done the Zoom podcast before, so no. But it's proved to us that we can do it, and yeah. And now we might be able to reach out to some some people who we thought were unreachable, really, because they didn't live local to the area. Yeah, you know. So that's that's awesome. Thank you again for for at least showing us that that can be done. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh, sure thing. And and if you'd be down to do this again, you know, I mean, we would love to have you back on. Sure. Okay, but we do it at semester break. During the semester, it's kind of busy. But oh, yeah. Semester break. I... Yeah. Well, I'll I'll actually be uh you know going back to to U of H this semester too. So, cool. From, from a master's in finance. So I wish me luck. Good luck, Cody. Maybe I'll take some of your classes. <laughs> you teach any master's uh, level classes? Oh, I'm teaching behavioral finance again. But you've pretty much seen that. That's not yeah. gonna do you much good. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, very cool. Uh, Once again, I appreciate you, Dale. Uh, And uh, that's it for the Talk of All Trades, episode 10. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Take care.